This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Neil the rebound. Kevin Alley brings it up. Throws it across. Miller for three. Rebound for his ninth. 18 points, nine rebounds, six oh. assists. From oh, oh, oh the chicken! Double time! Miles Turner! Yeah! Welcome to the NBA, my friend! Turner sets the screen. Oh, Whoa. oh, oh, oh no! Oh, no. Right Don't let him throw it down like that! Victor on the deep throw! Throws it back to Oladipo. Stevenson behind, drives inside! And the foul! Lance Stevenson and a chance for a three-point play. He just headbutted the Stanton. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Born Ready to Pod podcast. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Born Ready to Pod podcast. My name is Chris Cook. Sitting next to me, as always, Eric Hawk, Jake Light. Guys, special guest coming on tonight. Yeah, Michael Grady. I, I thought you were going to say his name. <laughs> I guess I have to. Uh, I was kind of easing into it, you know, even though the episode title says who's on it. Yeah. I was kind of just, you know, I just want to say the it. first time I ever heard Michael Grady, I knew that he was like destined for this. Like his voice is He's perfect got the voice, for radio. Yeah. And I just love listening to him every morning when on the Grady show when I get a chance. So it was an awesome, surreal interview. And. He was just very down to earth, easy to talk to guy. Absolutely. Loved every second of it. Yeah, yeah. I I thought he was great, and the best part about it is at the end of the episode we got to give him a little pop quiz. So a little yeah. dose of revenge, his own revenge on all those. So all of you who have participated in the pop quiz, I think we helped set that straight tonight or today, and we got Grady on there, and we asked him some very hard hitting questions that most of us probably couldn't. Most Pacers fans couldn't answer those questions. Those were hard. And if you're hearing us more clear, we bought new mics. Yeah. To take this to the next level. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, um, so we don't sound like we're on an AM station. Yeah, anymore, th- that's uh, that's part of the perks of being such a hard hitting podcast now. All just sudden, grinding. Yeah, we're just grinding. Uh, we're just some guys with uh, now circular mics, so it's just a little bit more official, and this is pretty awesome. It literally looks like a snowball. It, that's what it's called. I know, it's absolutely. No free ads. So. No. Speaking of snowball, our guest keeps getting better. Um, we're just snowballing right downhill now, and I think uh, our fans will love this Michael Grady interview. Yep, absolutely. So coming up next on the podcast, Michael Grady. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, guys, a very special guest on the show tonight, co-host of the Grady and Big Joe Show on 107.5-1070 The Fan, and also currently on the sideline for the Brooklyn Nets as their reporter. We have Michael Grady joining us tonight. Michael, thanks for joining us. No, happy to be with you guys. Uh, so you grew up in Indy, and you know, like most of us here, you idolize these Indy sports teams. Um, so what were some of the things that you did, uh, even starting back as far as high school, to jumpstart your sports and uh, your broadcasting career and on the radio? Yeah, yeah well, um, you know, I've talked about it uh, on the air. Um, Scott Hetty cut me uh, my sophomore year at 1 Central, and um, at the same time, 
my uh, voice was getting a little bit deeper, and people were telling me um, as I was working at Taco Bell at Cherry Tree on Washington Street on the east side of Indianapolis, man, you should get into radio. You should do something with radio. And so um, I gave it some thought, and I love music. And so I was going to be, uh, my original thought was to be a disc jockey. You know, play some play some music, play some of my favorite music, that kind of thing, and work my way up. And um, and then I got to thinking about it as time went on, and it wasn't right away. But you know, if I'm you know you listen to a radio station and they play the same songs over and over and over again, and so if I felt like I would fall out of love with the music if I was a music DJ, so uh, so sports was also a big love of mine. Fortunately, there was a radio station at Warren Central. Uh, the teams there were pretty good. And so I did play-by-play for both the boys and uh, the girls' basketball teams and also for the football team. Awesome. And the basketball team happened to get to the, uh, the regional round, I believe, of the uh, Indiana High School basketball tournament, and the game was held at Hinkle Fieldhouse. And um, everything was a disaster on the broadcast. Our equipment didn't work in the first <laughs> half. We could only do the second half. Um, but it was my first time. I was a junior in high school. It was my first time being inside Hinkle Fieldhouse. And that was the moment that I knew that I had to do this. I had to go all in. And yeah. so from there, I went to Vincennes, kept it going. And then as soon as I left Vincennes, I had a very small opportunity at MS Communications a weekend shift, even a full weekend. It was a Saturday shift. And uh, worked my way from there. Then it just so happened that WIBC turned into the fan, and the rest is the rest is history. A big role that most Pacers fans know you from is your job as the PA announcer uh, there for a couple seasons. But what a lot of fans probably don't know is that you actually started off as a Pacers uh MC. MC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Back in twenty in 2008. What was that experience like, trying to keep the crowd engaged, considering it was such a bad Pacers team to cheer for <laughs> that season? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are some, uh, those are some, dark, uh, some dark times. But, you know, um, I, was, I was that kid sitting too close to the television with, you know, in my socks watching Pacers Knicks. Pacers Magic, Pacers Bulls, and I'm watching Reggie and I'm cheering and going crazy after all these fantastic moments. And, uh, I mean, if they had asked me to be an usher, I would have been an usher. Um, it didn't matter what they would have asked me to do. You know, I've always, I've always loved this franchise, always loved this team, always loved the personalities of the players who have been on this team. And so um, uh, the fact that they asked me to do it, which, again, is connected to the fan have in their mind perhaps PA uh, and and so they were fishing around for different voices and when the fan started I was the executive producer we didn't have money for a voiceover guy and so I was the one coming back from commercial breaks that you would hear saying you're listening to 1070 the fan and so uh, some people heard my voice they they turned my name over to the Pacers and they brought me in and they weren't going to throw me into PA right away yeah so I started in doing the MC stuff, and then I started doing PA for the Indiana Fever, and then once they felt comfortable with it, with everything, they began the transition. So, um, so no, it was it was a lot of uh, it was a lot of fun, and even though the team wasn't all that great or may not have been a very likable team, I was on the floor at Bankers Life Fieldhouse working for a team that I grew up cheering for. So it was amazing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you were the PA guy for about seven seasons, and you got to be courtside for those Pacers teams that got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so what were some of your best moments that you got to experience while being the PA guy for the Pacers? I, you know, I don't know that there's a specific moment. Um, uh, it, it's, it's hard to say a specific moment. I, I'd say it's just the vibe, the feeling of playoff time and the playoff atmosphere. And um, when, when you watch the documentary, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks, and you hear, you know, David Benner, Bill Benner, and others, and Mark Boyle, and, and um, or David wasn't in it, Bill Benner and Mark Boyle and others talk about the intensity at Market Square Arena and how crazy it was, and people were basically on top of the court, and it was just, I mean, these were rabid dogs. Um, <laughs> I, I, people will always say that, you know, nothing will compare to that. Well, Baker's life got pretty damn close during those battles with Miami Heat. I, I'm talking tension that you can cut with a knife. I mean, there's nothing like heading into the building before a game like that. And you know your fan base is, 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 is so hungry to get a victory over this, you know, uh, a team of juggernauts with, yeah. with Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Chris Bosh. Um, and you know that your team is talented. You know that your team can go toe-to-toe with them. And you just want to see them pull it out by any means necessary. And to be up 2-1 and you've got a 3-1 opportunity and the nerves heading into the field house, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a game where your team could go up 3-1 uh, which would be unbelievable against this team, mm-hmm. uh, and and to have basically three years in a row of that, um, there was really nothing. There was really nothing like it. And I, I've talked about this on the radio. I bumped into people who uh, either played on the Miami Heat during those years or was associated with the team, and they keep talking about how crazy Bankers Life Fieldhouse was. So I'm very proud to say that you know that I that I you know happened to work for the team and was in the building. Uh, during those intense battles, and it was unfortunate that they came up short, you know. But um, those were those were unbelievable. And even watching, you know, I think when when Michael Jordan beat the Pacers back in the day, 1998, yeah. it was frustrating. We hated Michael Jordan, but I think we reflect on it and we go, man, we gave Michael all he could handle in 1998. It would have been nice to beat him, but you know, we lost to one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Yeah. And we may not we may we may not be saying it now, but I think one day we will look back and go, you know what, we came short, but man, we went toe to toe with LeBron James for several years yeah. and gave him all he could handle and uh, he put forth some unbelievable performances to where if you're a basketball fan you can't help but appreciate. So those battles were great. I'm I'm not sad to see him in the Western Conference Finals. You know, yeah. I, mean, I feel like he's going to be in the Western Conference Finals. I, I don't know how he's going to get there, but I just can't see LeBron not being in the Conference Finals, and I'm glad it's not going to be the Eastern Conference Finals this year. So, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, you've had some hard names that you've had to announce. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. And I'm guessing Giannis is probably up there for you, but what were some of the most difficult names for you to pronounce, or what were some of the names you spent the most time on practicing in front of a mirror at home or something? Uh, Giannis, Giannis was a big one for sure. Um, I actually, the one that was the hardest, um, I don't even remember his name now. I, I think he played for Detroit. He was a big man. Um, and, uh, I cannot remember what his name was, but it was just too many consonants and not enough vowels. And 
um, the first time he went out there, I just didn't say anything. Uh, I just let him. I just let him walk out there because I had not nailed it yet, and I had hoped. I was hoping that he wouldn't score. It was. It was garbage time, and he happened to get into the game. And I'm like, all right, well, I, I just need him to not score. And dude scored like three buckets in the final two minutes of the game. So I had to figure it out. So um, I don't remember his name. I think he played for uh, Detroit. But uh, yeah, I did not. I did not like saying his name at all. And I think I may have encountered him maybe two other times before I before uh, I was done as PA. We're gonna have to research that now because now I'm interested in yeah. who that was. Um, so most Pacers fans were obviously sad to see you leave the PA job uh, last season, but you joined uh, Yes Network as the Nets courtside reporter, as we mentioned earlier. Um, so what were some of the things that you learned in your first season doing that? that you think is going to help you going forward into your second year? Yeah, you know, um, it's just about being around great minds uh, and, and being around great broadcasters and growing and learning. You know what I mean? Being a PA announcer was amazing, but, you know, um, you know, I have high aspirations, you know, um, for what I want to do. And I didn't see myself at the outset being a PA guy. Um, radio was my love. And then, TV became a big passion of mine, and so PA announcing was fun, and I enjoyed it, and I would have done it for, for uh, free, but, you know, I owe it to myself to see how far I can push my broadcasting career, and so um, I learned such a great deal from Mark Boyle and, and others in Indianapolis, and I continue to learn from these people, and uh, now I've moved to New York, and this big market, New York, where there's so many people at my disposal to learn from. Yeah. And Ian Eagle is one of the best play-by-play guys around, period. Yeah. And so to travel the country and work with Ian Eagle for, I don't know how many games, you know, I'm there for 82 games. He may miss a handful because of NFL responsibilities or college basketball responsibilities. But for the majority of an NBA season, I'm traveling with Ian Eagle. Uh, when Ian Eagle can't go, uh, Ryan Rucco, who has worked for ESPN for a long time, yep. has done radio for a long time, does stuff with the Yankees also with Yes Network. I'm working with him. Uh, Sarah Kustak, who's a tremendous announcer, who's uh, from Chicago, um, played at DePaul, and she's the only full-time female color commentator in the NBA, and she's as good as anybody. Mm-hmm. And so as the, as the PA announcer for the Pacers, it was, it was an unbelievable experience, but I was only in Indianapolis. Uh, when I was working for RTD6, we didn't travel for road games. We don't, I, don't, I didn't know what the road life was like, and I love to travel. Yeah. And so to be able to narrow my focus for one NBA team, travel the country, learn, interact, network with some great broadcasters, and grow myself was an opportunity that um, was just too difficult to pass up. And so um, the crew's been great. The produ- I, I didn't mention the producers, the guys behind the scenes who challenged me and, and, and and make me a better broadcaster. And so the experience after season number one uh, was, was terrific, and I've grown so much as a broadcaster. Yeah. Um, so uh, you now obviously cover the Nets, like you said, 82 games a year. So obviously you probably have grown to, like, you know, they're a lot more tolerable now than they used to be when you were a Pacers fan. But uh, you can't show your bias too much when on TV when you're talking about them. But are you secret, secretly rooting for the Pacers in those matchups when they play against the Nets? Or are you trying to, you know, not try to get back into your Pacers fandom too much because you're still going to talk about the game later on? It's so, you know, um, I want I, – it, it's all about um, 
me at that particular uh, moment and in those games. And um, I want to see the Pacers, and, 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 and you guys know, and anybody who listens to my show know, they know, um, I love the Pacers. I want to see them go 82-0. and I want to see them make a deep playoff run. I want to see them get back to the NBA Finals. But from my work experience, from my work experience, the Nets and Pacers, made, I think they're going to play each other maybe three, four times this upcoming season. Yeah. They saw each other four times last season. Um, if the Pacers take losses on those nights, but they still go on and have a terrific season, that would be a huge win for me. And I yeah. say that because this. When you talk to athletes after a win, it's an amazing, like it's an amazing experience. Everybody's happy. Everybody's thrilled. We got the W. And I'm the one that has to do those interviews. I'm the one that has to have those conversations. If they get blown out, beat, it's a bad loss, whatever it may be, these guys have attitudes, they're upset, they're whatever. So I want to see the Nets go 82-0. and I want to see the Nets win every matchup. Because that tells me that my the end of my night is going to be pleasant. Because the per, the guys are going to be in a much better mood. So uh, no, in those in those moments, I'm happy that the Pacers win. But I'm like, oh man, I got to deal with these guys in the locker room being upset. But if the Nets win, I'm disappointed that the Pacers lost, and I'm hoping that they bounce back the next night. But I'm secretly going, yes, these guys are going to be in a really good mood in the locker room. So that's the tug of war. On a uh, on a game night where uh, and they had some epic games last season. There were some great games between the Pacers and the Nets that damn near gave me a heart attack. Uh, but that's what's going through my mind on those nights. So what you're saying is, if we ever wanted to do another interview with you again, we shouldn't schedule it after a Nets loss, right? Because <laughs> then you'll right, be all, right, you'll have right. an attitude after that. Then <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need to pick me up. Need to yeah. pick me up after a loss. Yeah, locker room locker rooms are tough after a team loses. Uh, with the additions the Pacers made in this offseason, what do you think is the realistic expectation for them in the playoffs? And how about the Nets also? Uh, the, uh, well, real quick, that uh, you know the Nets are a year away from being able to really make some noise. Yeah. There are no guarantees, but they're one of a few teams in the league. I think the Clippers are one. The Knicks might be another one. And there may be another team or two out there as well, but those are big markets. Excuse me, big markets, obviously, um, where they are going to have salary cap room to sign two max players. Mm-hmm. And so the Nets have been in purgatory for a while now, after making the worst trade in NBA history, <laughs> given all those draft picks in exchange for Kevin Durant and Paul Pierce, and they obviously didn't pan out at all in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And so. They've been bad for a while, and they didn't even reap the benefit of a good draft pick because they gave them all to Boston. So next season is going to be the next off season is going to be the first off season where in the NBA draft they're going to have their own pick. So if they struggle this upcoming season, they're going to get a good lottery pick and going to have enough money to bring in two max caliber players. Uh, so again, just because they have the money doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be able to land these guys, but it is an optimistic position to be in and one that they haven't been in in a, in a very long time. So, uh, so that's from the next standpoint. They added a couple of pieces. I think 36 wins is reasonable for them. They may be able to compete for an eighth spot, but ultimately um, I'd be surprised if they, if they get it. They're going to have to have a really strong season to be in the mix there. Although the Eastern Conference is unpredictable. Yeah, the Pacers, meanwhile... The Pacers, meanwhile, should be uh, a top 
four, maybe even the top three team in the Eastern Conference. I really like the additions that they made. One of the things that they were really lacking last season was a three, uh, a, a, another legit three-point threat opposite Bojan Bogdanovic. And so I feel like they, they have that now. Uh, Lance Stevenson was a little erratic. Um, he brought juice that was much needed on several, on several nights. But at the same time, you didn't feel like you can trust him down the stretch. And so if you couldn't trust him down the stretch, then you're taking a playmaking um, ball handler off the court and you're bringing somebody else in who isn't as dynamic. And so it almost hurt the Pacers that they really couldn't trust Lance Stevenson down the stretch. And because Lance can take pressure off of Victor Oladipo, who does a lot of ball handling in crunch time, and having someone else out there who can handle the rock and create for himself and others would have, would have created somewhat of a two-headed monster. The team feels like they have that now in Tyreek Evans, who had a really strong season a year ago. It was a tough, it was a tough team to play for in Memphis because they didn't know who they were. They thought they were going to compete, and they realized, oh, no, we need to tank. Oh, we're going to trade Tyreek Evans. Oh, let's not play him then. And he quietly had a really, really strong season. Uh, because of his injury, his history of injuries, you know, it wasn't enough to where you can give him a long-term contract, so the Pacers gave him a, gave a, gave a very smart contract, and let's see what you can do, let's see if you can stay healthy. But if he can stay healthy, that's the playmaking ball handler out, out there on the court, uh, who you can trust in crunch time, which makes the Pacers even more dangerous in the fourth quarter because you have someone who can create for himself and others opposite Victor Oladipo, who obviously will get the majority of the touches. So it keeps the defense guessing. And so uh, so from that standpoint, I think they've made a really huge upgrade with that second unit, and that should give the team, if you add in the continuity, a nice boost this upcoming season. Um, and so I really like, I really like the balance on, on Indiana's team. I like the depth on Indiana's team. Um, we'll see how things pan out with Toronto. Um, I think number one seed of the Eastern Conference, uh, and, and they prove that even if they have injuries, they could be right there at the top. Um, uh, Toronto, I think, will be really good. It's just going to be interesting to see how Kawhi Leonard mixes in and gels with everybody on the court. And Philadelphia, I'm just really iffy on because I don't trust Joel Embiid. Um, he's an amazing, amazing, amazing player, but I think he gets in his own way. And Ben Simmons has to prove that he can shoot outside of five feet. He's a terrific player, but I think defenses will figure out a way to uh, uh, hone in on him and limit him uh, if he doesn't develop a jump shot. So, um, and, and I don't think that, and they certainly didn't make the splash that they were hoping for in the offseason. They were hoping for, you know, LeBron James, Paul George, and, and they end up re-signing J.J. Reddick. So, um, so I, I think they're a very talented team, but that could be a team that the Pacers are able to jump in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, yeah. I love I love everything they've done. I really do. But TJ Leaf in the second unit makes me so nervous, man. Talk me off the cliff, please. <laughs> well, he may not get a, he may not get a lot of run. Uh, I don't I think mean, so yeah. either. No, no. He, he's. Uh, I didn't like what I saw from him in summer league at all. And so you know, Corey Joseph, Tyreek Evans. Uh, coming off the bench, um, Damo obviously, and then you rotate the other guys uh, um, as best as best you can. I like Kylo Quinn. Um, I think he's physical. I think he's extremely tough, and so I think he gets some run as well. Be that uh, Trevor Booker, you know, coming off the bench that we saw last season. But you can, but you know, you can tighten the rotation a little bit so where you don't have to see TJ Leaf out there. 
Uh, he's just not strong enough. He's not physical enough. Um, and, 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 uh, and because of that, he may get early season runs, but you can't trust him. I don't think you're going to be able to trust him, you know, late in the season at all. Yeah. No. All right. Thank you for talking me off that cliff. Now, <laughs> on your radio show, you coined the phrase the Lance effect. Um, yeah. I get emotional just seeing that right there. But specifically dating back to when he joined the 16-17 roster at the end of the year and basically helped boost him into the playoffs, I mean, do you see the Lance effect having now a negative impact on the team this season since we don't have him on the roster? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question, and it's something that I talked about on the radio show. Um, if your team is better, then your team is better. I think that's the most important thing at the end of the day, and I think with the moves that they made, they are better. Um, that said, uh, there are times over the course of the NBA season, and I experienced this firsthand in my first season traveling with the Nets, and it just gave me a better understanding of the grind of an NBA season and the travel, and um, it's not just who you play, but when are you playing them. Have you just finished a stretch where you played four games in, you know, seven nights or whatever? Are you, have you just come off of a grueling road trip? You know, what are the circumstances leading into a matchup? And so uh, you, you understand that you could have a really, you know, uh, you could be fresh for a particular game because you've had a, a light load in the past week, or you could be really tired. Right. And this is the NBA. So even if you're facing a garbage team like, you know, or, or, or just a bad team, uh, the Atlanta Hawks, for example, if you're, if you're facing Atlanta, but you're coming off of a grueling stretch, you could get beat that night. You could get beat. And we saw that at different times throughout the season. The Pacers did a really good job of beating the teams they should be, but the Dallas game comes to mind. Uh, there was a Hawks game that comes to mind, if I'm not mistaken. There were others where it was like, wait a minute, how, how on earth did they lose to that team? Well, it's the grind, and it's just on any given night, you know, if you're not fresh or if you don't have that energy, you can get beat. Uh, one, one of the things that helped the Pacers on those down nights was Lance Stevenson. Yep. And so I don't know who's going who's gonna to step up, who's going to be that energy guy, who's going to give juice to the team when everybody else seems like they're kind of going through the motions, they're tired, they're, they're exhausted from a long road trip or whatever it may be. Who's that guy who's got a screw loose? Who's, who's going to be bringing all this energy, get the crowd involved, and somehow, somehow the team finds a way to pull out a victory that you had no, that you did not think at all they were going to win uh, in the first half. And that's what I feel Lance brought last season. Given all his flaws, all that type of stuff, he was so crazy that even when it, everybody else in the squad could have been tired and a little bit off uh, after a grueling stretch, the land had this energy, and it just kind of boosted. It, it boosted him. It boosted his teammates. It boosted the crowd, and they had some really good comebacks and found a way to pull out some wins. So I don't know who that to be, um, but I do believe all that said that the team is is uh, better than what they were a season ago. The Dougie McBuckets effect. I'm thinking. What do you think? <laughs> okay. All right, I thought you might get a kick of that. So, um, several seasons ago, I'm sure you remember this vividly, Ron Artest joined the Grady and Big Joe show prior to a game he played against the Pacers. Um, he then just hung up on you guys, just straight up hung up on you during the interview. Can you tell us a little more about that moment, like what was going through your head? Because obviously Ron Artest has a little Lance Stevenson in him where you don't really know what's going to happen. 
So what was that like? You, you know, it just um, it was uh, it was a funny it was a funny moment. It was one of my favorite moments on the show, um, and it it really was so Ron. Uh, it was a it was a classic Ron moment. Who is who is bizarre, and that's why we and that's why we love him. He's got a screw loose. That's why we love him. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Uh, very Lance Stevenson like, and so uh, and he's very prideful. And um, I oh, who did I? I, I had a I had a sit down with D'Angelo Russell not long ago, and D'Angelo played with Ron Artest at the tail end of his career, and said that Ron was the most competitive guy he had ever been around. Yeah, and absolutely. obviously he played with Kobe too. Yeah, um, uh, but Ron stood out as a guy who could not believe how competitive he was, and some of that rubbed off. On him, and so, and he still remembers that. And that was a few years ago. So, um, so Ron is very competitive, very prideful. And what I said was, you know, hey, you're looking forward to the game tonight. You know, Paul George. You know, Paul George is a really good defender too. This should be a really good matchup between two, you know, uh, really talented defensive guys. And Ron said, yeah, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's nobody in the NBA that plays defense like me. Don't get it twisted or something like that. And then he hung up the phone. <laughs> and uh, and we just paused for a moment, and then we just bust out laughing. And so, yeah, that's one of my all-time favorites. I love it. Do you have any other interview stories like that? I mean, it doesn't have to be Pacers-related, I guess, but like any other interviews that come to your mind, like the Ron Artest interview where you just kind of sit back and you're like, what just happened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, Warren Sapp was one that was more of my uh, my co-host. Kind of got under his skin, and he he uh, he didn't hang up on us, but the tension got real thick um, <laughs> after after a heated exchange between those two. Um, a fun one was between when we had uh, Roy Hibbert. Oh yeah. When he was yeah when he was still beloved here, uh, we had him on, and I was asking him about trash talk. I love talking about trash talk. And he said the biggest trash talker was Kevin Garnett. And he said he, uh, Garnett blocked his shot his rookie year. And he said, get that, get that bleep out of here, you cupcake bleep. And, and we just died laughing, um, at that. And he, I mean, he said that on air. We had to dump him. And, and, uh, but it was, it was just a funny, honest moment, uh, um, moment about trash talk on the basketball court, which is great. Well, you're not doing busy. Well, you're not doing busy doing something involving sports. You have a passion for photography and fashion, something we absolutely have no insight to speak about. So, what got you involved and in, uh, into doing that as well? What got me into that? Yeah. What 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 started uh, that fire for you? I, I guess I mean everything started from like high school. I, I think everybody everything started from. Um, I, I guess that was a big developmental stage or area for me. It's kind of that high school into college, and and um, it's funny. I mentioned to start the interview that I was working drive through at Taco Bell and asking people for their order, and they would pull up to the window and say, "You know, you should really get into radio." And so, and so that was kind of funny. And yeah. then while I was working at Taco Bell, a lady came in and she just liked the way I carried myself, and she said, "You should, you know, you should come over and work at LSAers." And um, I said, uh, okay. And so I, I continued to work. I, I, I was in school, at high school. And so I continued to work at Taco Bell. 
And then I also would pick up shifts at Ellis Airs, which was down the street at Washington Square Mall. And so, it, and so while I was there, um, you know, you got to pick out your clothes, you got to have this attire, you got to look a certain size. And, um, and so I started picking out clothes. I started observing what other people were wearing, you know, because you got, you got bonus for a commission or signing people up for an LS Airs card and things like that. So it's kind of all about how you present and how you carry yourself and that kind of thing. And so just, I just started really getting into the clothes and then people were responding to it. And, and so it just kind of, it kind of hit me the transformative power of clothes. You know, some people just throw something on, but other times if, if you put on a, on a really nice outfit or something fresh, something new, um, you just feel a certain kind of way. It's like getting a fresh haircut. It's like, oh, you just feel good. You feel, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a good it's a good feeling. And so I just kind of got really into really into clothes at that point, and um, and that continued. And then um, uh, started there were um, you know getting into fashion shows and things like that. The new clothes that were coming out, and and then photography and, and and that you know my both my parents did uh did photography mm-hmm. um i grew up with my mom and she 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 was into photography my great-grandfather always carried a polaroid around i always loved flipping through photo albums and things like that so um as i got a little bit older i always would you know keep a nice camera with me but i didn't know how to use it and then a uh, photographer who shoots the pacers and the colts um was asking me about my settings on my camera I didn't know what I was doing. He gave me some tips, and the tips hit home. It clicked, and it gave me kind of full control on how to operate the camera. And then out of nowhere, I just I was at Fashion Week in London, and I just put the two together. I just put my passion or interest in fashion and the interest in photography together, and then it's just kind of evolved from there. And it's really only been in the last, I think I, I went to London in 2000. It was September 2016, mm-hmm. so it's It's only going on two years now that I, you know, um, really got going in it, and then and then it just kind of evolved. So it's like street fashion, boudoir, it's like a number of different things, and so uh, just kind of fitting that into my spare time, and it gives me balance. You know, I, I, you know, if I only did sports, if I only focused on sports, I only talk sports, all this other type of stuff, I'd probably go crazy. Yeah. So this gives me a gives me a creative outlet completely different from sports. People I work with don't follow sports. They don't know what a basketball is. And it's kind of refreshing. It's kind of refreshing. So, uh, so no, no, I, I, uh, I make room for that in my spare time, for sure. If uh, we were to send you pictures of our daily attire, would you be willing to give us some fashion tips? Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Just every morning, I'm yeah. just going to send you a picture of when I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> and so, since you I work at Taco Bell, i got to ask you, what was your favorite Taco Bell menu item? Do you still enjoy Taco Bell at all, or that that's not your scene much anymore? You know, there's not a lot of uh, when I'm in Indy, maybe I'll swing by. But in New York, um, I, I I don't have I don't have a car, um, and there's not a lot of fast food joints like this sitting on corners or anything like that. So I don't really eat fast food at all here, which is good for my health. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't had, but I haven't been able to enjoy any of my uh, favorite uh, my favorite spots. But when I worked at Taco Bell, I, I ate something that wasn't even on the menu. Um, we used to uh, now. I liked, um, well, like, I think if I go now, like if I was to find a Taco Bell now, I like the cheesy go to the crunch. Yeah, but what we used to do back in the day was um, we would take, do they, I don't even know if they still sell cinnamon twists. 
Yeah, oh, they, yeah, they, they do. do. Oh, they definitely do. Last Saturday. <laughs> they still have to finish the most fresh, but they're there. Okay, okay, bet. Okay, so what we would do is um, we would take a gordita and we would put it in the fryer, the same fryer that we would use to make a chalupa or to make a cinnamon twist or whatever. We would put the gordita flat and we would put it in the fryer. We would take it out and then we would sprinkle this the uh, cinnamon twist, the cinnamon from the cinnamon twist on it and make an elephant ear. Oh, oh that's, my goodness. That's what we would do. That's what we would do um, at the end of our shift when we were going home. We would make elephant ears. And uh, we just made it, we just figured it out ourselves. And, it, and so, but yeah, yeah, that's what we would do. As a fat guy, that's just beautiful in my ears, honestly. <laughs> it was great. Okay, well, uh, earlier I asked you the hardest names for you to pronounce. And you said you couldn't remember this one player's name. So I've been digging in, doing some research. Um, uh-huh. On January 30th, 2013, the Pacers beat the Pistons 98-79, to and in that game, the very rarely used, I believe his name is Vyacheslav Kravtsov. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> he, that's played, him. he played three minutes, and it was a season-high two-for-two two on field goals. That four, also had to be a season-high yes, on minutes. <laughs> four points that's and two rebounds, and a block. I bet that was a vicious block, so... If anyone ever asks you again, it's Vyacheslav Kravstov, who then was immediately out of the league. (laughs) Hey, that's fantastic research. Uh, That is exactly right. I didn't know how many buckets he got, um, but I knew he. But he scored, and he got. I don't know how many minutes did he play. It says two minutes and fifty-five seconds. That's he scored two buckets in three minutes. Like, come on now. (laughs) And a block. It sounds like he should be getting more runs. And a block. (laughs) I don't understand. and he is but he went out there and got his little Chamberlain on. I can I can confirm I'm I'm looking at a picture of him, and I yeah he probably wasn't the most athletic of guys either. No 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 no, but he was uh, he was both skilled that night. No, that's hilarious. No, that's definitely the guy. That's definitely the guy. <laughs> All right, Grady. Well, that wraps up the easy part of this interview. <laughs> Um, now we're actually going to put you on the spot because we've seen some of the torture that you've put some of the listeners to your radio sh- radio show through with the uh, difficult questions that you have on uh, the pop quiz. So what we're going to do today is we actually have five questions that we're going to ask you here one by one. And just like the pop quiz, you're going to give us your best guess. How's that sound? That sounds good. Put me on the spot. There's a backstory to this a little bit. I took your quiz once. I beat it easily. There was no problem. <laughs> And then I never got a prize or an oil change, so I've always been a little salty. So this is this is revenge. <laughs> These are all tennis questions, then. That's our question. So I definitely would. I could probably get maybe one of these right, but we'll see what happens. Um, so first question for you, and we don't have that like TikTok sound in the background, but maybe we can add the Gene Wilder spot in here at some point when we edit it. But first question: Who is the all-time leader in defensive rebound percentage in Pacers history? So defensive you got to name the player. Percentage? Yes, if you name the percentage, that's even better bonus points. But we're just looking for the player here. I'll give you one nope. hint: He was on the team that you emceed for. Ooh, that's a good hint. He was on a team that I emceed for. Yes, I believe he was. Uh, I would, I would say that. Um, trying to think of rebounders in my early years, Troy Murphy was probably. 
that your that's final my, answer? That's, that's my, yeah, that's my final answer. All right, you passed question one. <laughs> Chris is like Big Joe giving hands out. Yeah, here. I got to stop doing that. 26.8% defensive rebound percentage. That's huge. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. Next question. Since okay. 1990, the Pacers have only missed the playoffs six times. Can you name those seasons? Six times? Six times since, since 1990. Since I was born. Ooh, um, you said that's one. What'd you say? Uh, okay, let's let's go. Um, okay, they made the last. <laughs> last two years they played Toronto. Two years, or last two years Cleveland, and it was two years with Toronto. <laughs> I'm gonna say five years ago. So, what about the 2000? No, 2013. That would have been the season they went to that. Huh. <laughs> yeah, you get <laughs> you got me on this one. You got me on this one. I, I know this those yeah, those right after right after um the brawl year, so that's not good. six like a two thousand seven, two thousand eight perhaps. That's one two thousand nine. Yeah. Um, the '90s. I'm spacing. There may have been a half, there, what two years in the '90s where they didn't only make the playoffs. There was only one in the '90s. Only one. Um, was it? Uh, no. Mm-mm. Well, you got to give it to me. You got to give it to me. All right. Man. So uh, '96, '97. That was the first year. And then okay. uh, that year, those years there in the 2000s, they missed it in 2007, 2008, and 2009, and 2010. So there was four right okay. there. And then the 2015 team, the year that Paul George had the leg injury, that was also the last year. Ah, uh, okay, I got it. too many Toronto seasons. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So we're going to keep going and make this even harder. <laughs> Reggie Miller has three siblings. Four. Four siblings. <laughs> Can you name them and their names? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you named them, you named them. Exactly. Get out of here. Cheryl's sure, uh, the only one that gets any pub. Yeah. Is, yeah. There, a, is there another brother that starts with the letter R? No. There, there is a uh, name that rhymes with Cheryl. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, so who's the other, who's the other sibling? Yeah. Who are these other kids who didn't play basketball in their life? <laughs> There's Cheryl, Daryl. And then it gets really weird with Tammy and Saul. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Saul played for, or, no, or Daryl, one of them played for, I think, the Angels baseball organization. I'm not, oh, okay, I can't confirm that, but I believe that's the truth. All right, on to the next question. Victor Oladipo was born in Silver Spring, Maryland. According to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2013, what is the population? What is, what, what was that again? What was the what? What is the population, according to the 2013 U.S. Census Bureau, for Silver oh, Spring, Maryland? This is like the great big deal population. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go uh, 248,000. Oh, a little high. Aiming your sights too high there. 76,716. <laughs> That would have been if you would have got that exact number, I would have been really impressed. <laughs> Validated, yep. 
So, okay, I think I think this is the last pop quiz question, but probably okay. the one that means the most to you, having the Lance effect. Um, but Lance Stevenson has played for seven different NBA teams, seven of them. Can you name them in order? There is one, obviously, Ooh. that repeats. Oh, did you say in order? Yeah, yeah. It, can you do it in order? In order, oh, man, I don't know about in order. Uh, Indiana, yep. Charlotte. Um, this is where I got mixed Clippers. up. Clippers? Yep, yep. Uh, hmm. You're reaching the point now where you got to those, like, 10-day contracts, so it's getting hard. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I, uh... Minnesota's in there. Yeah, he's a little bit later. He's hanging out with that some Indiana late. boys on this team. Think barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Why am I spacing on where he went next? After the Clippers. <laughs> oh, Memphis. Yes. yes. Zach Memphis. Randolph and right. the same team. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Memphis and then Minnesota? There's a team in between. This dude was everywhere. Yes, he was. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. Think the big easy. <laughs> uh, shoot. Memphis, and then someone gave him another opportunity. Think beads. <laughs> a lot of beads on the street. What's that now? <laughs> a lot of beads and a lot of alcohol. Some crawfish, some jambalaya. <laughs> oh, New Orleans. Yes, yes. there it is. I, I do not remember him with New Orleans. Wow. Yeah, that was barely any yeah. time. It was like yeah, well, maybe two games. Well, he partied, he partied in New Orleans and then went up to Minnesota and bundled up. Okay, okay. And then gotcha, surely gotcha. you can get the last two teams he's played for. <laughs> or will play for one of them. Get <laughs> to play for half the league. <laughs> All right, I think I think that's all for the pop quiz. I was actually super impressed with the Troy Murphy answer. Yeah, that was pretty good. I gave you a pretty uh, good there. hint there, but that was impressive. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I just found a random statistic that I could find online, and that was one of the most random ones I could find, so I figured it'd be a good question. <laughs> oh, Troy was a rebounding machine. Yeah, absolutely. He was a rebounding machine. Absolutely. So that uh, wraps up all we had for you today, Grady. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. You can check him out on the radio, uh, Grady and Big Joe Show on uh, 107.5, 1070 The Fan. And also catch him on the sideline this year uh, for the Nets. Um, and make sure during those games that you are, uh, you know, hopefully I'm going to be rooting for the Pacers in those games. But for your sake, if the Nets do win, maybe I won't feel as bad if they do lose. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, Thanks a lot for appreciate joining us. We appreciate it. We'd love to have you on again sometime. Anytime, anytime. You guys have a good one. You too, thanks.